Hey guys, good morning. Thank you all for tuning in to Cargo Margo. This is a place where I interview industry experts from around the world and we dive deep into those experiences they have as industry leaders. We talk about all things sales, supply chain, and entrepreneurship. And today I have a special guest and I'm really into our guest today because I believe she has a similar background. And so there's quite a few areas where we can connect on and I think you're going to find a lot of value in that. So please give a warm welcome to our guest, Samantha Jones. Hey, Samantha. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So where are you right now? I live in, I say Kansas City by default because most people aren't super familiar with the Kansas area. I am on the Kansas side of Kansas City in a very small town um, called Tonganoxie, Kansas. Um, So just situated between Lawrence and Kansas City. Awesome. And I'm in the Long Beach area, SoCal area today. So really excited. The weather is finally clearing up and I hear though it's going to rain soon. So I'm like, oh, yeah, um, it's it's an unusually beautiful day here. We have 60 degree weather. Um, it was like 20 degrees a few days ago. So I'll take what I can get. Oh, wow. That's kind of cool. It mixes it up. You never know what you're going to get. It's true. It's very true. <laughs> So tell me, Samantha, how did you get into supply chain? And you can kind of give a broad overview of, you know, a little bit of your background, but really, how did you find yourself in this space and kind of a little bit about where you're at right now? Yeah. So definitely didn't uh, plan this, didn't intend for this to happen. Call it a God thing, call it fate, destiny, whatever it is that you want to say. Um, I was... Still in school, attending um, Kansas State University. Um, that's where I graduated. And in my final year there, I was just walking through a career fair. Um, you know, this, these guys tried to say, hey, you know, come talk to us. And it was one of those like, ah, that's not who I came here to see. You're trying to like move past them. Um, but I got sucked in and started talking with a couple of really great guys um, from my former employer that were attending the career fair. Um And ironically, I actually proceeded to get a different internship set up out of that career fair with a different company. And I totally thought I was going down this other path. Um, That ended up not working out. I was going to have to go to um, San Antonio, Texas for that internship. And I got pregnant with my son in my last year of school and um, just kind of changed the logistics of things, having having a kid on the way. Um, So I revisited that conversation I had had and everything just kind of lined up perfectly timing wise with me graduating and having my son and being able to start um, that career. So I went into a management training program with um, ArcBest ABF Freight. And I did that for about six months, um, learned more than I hope I ever need to know again about LTL operations. Um, And I was like immersed in, you know, the operational side of the LTL industry, which was insanely valuable when it comes to like trying to understand how things work behind the scenes when you're managing it from the provider side, right? Um, Or the shipper side. And let me ask you, Samantha. So LTL sales is a different animal. And I mentioned that because... I'm not sure what it was structured like, but I remember my LTL days and you're doing a minimum of eight calls, usually 10 to 12 calls a day. Those are a lot of calls. And so to be able to manage every stage of the pipeline, but also charge at a high rate can be exhausting sometimes. But I feel as though those are the things I I look back on and I realize, wow, those really helped me to be successful today. Yeah, absolutely. So like, 
two, two thoughts to add on that. Um, you know, coming from the operation side, even though it was brief, that was my next role was transitioning into the sales side for that company and like actually understanding how things work always makes you a better salesperson, right? Cause you're more equipped to answer questions and problem solve. Um, instead of having to go to other people for, for help or not know how to speak to operations when you inevitably have to contact them. Um, so it was very helpful there, but but you are right in the LTL is a unique industry because there is a finite number of providers and there are not new ones entering the market constantly. Right. Um, on the asset side, like you can have more, you know, we have carrier authorities going active all the time in the full truckload space. Um, LTL is similar to like rail. It's kind of, we kind of have our providers, we lose more than we gain um, as they, you know, mergers, acquisitions, bankruptcies. Um, but it, it's just a different type of um, industry altogether. It's very involved. Uh, sales is, you know, you're, you're usually doing the full pipeline there, that full sales cycle. Um, and you not only have to be a good seller, but you have to be good at account management. You have to be good at, you know, instant problem solving, being able to think quickly, provide resolution. Um, but it's so eye-opening. And like you said, like you learn so much and you develop a very unique skill set when you're doing that type of um, full cradle to grave, call it model, if you will, but like in the LTL space, um, just because you're forced to learn so much at such a fast pace. It worked out well for me because I did that for a couple of years. And, you know, just by being forced to, to learn as you go, um, you grow your skill set quite a bit pretty quickly. Now, it also seems as though you're going to have some experience with different cultures, right? And company culture is what I really want to talk about. And so what do you think good company culture is? Yeah, <laughs> um, I was blessed to have great company culture where I started and to have it as well where I'm at now. Um, I would say like, hands down, it matters much more the relationships and, and the culture that's set within your immediate team than even like a, if you're in a large organization than the organization at scale. Because I, I saw it play out where overall the organization can have a good culture, but like there's still going to be pockets where maybe there's a, a inexperienced leader or a toxic leader or, you know, teammates who are just um, not as constructive as they could be in other instances. So Again, I was very blessed with some phenomenal leadership early on in my career. Um, and we had a really cool team. And I mean, we were just, you know, it, it's LTL freight sales, right? And, and we were outside sales pre-COVID. So this is like knocking on doors, getting told, screamed at to get off of the dock, <laughs> whatever it is. And um, But we just had a really cool, resilient team of passionate people. And that's another thing that I contribute to my, you know, success and advancement was like, it's that immediate team culture, which ultimately comes down to um, the leader of that team and the culture that they're willing to foster and like call it like a micro culture within a more of a macro environment there. There's a lot of interesting thoughts to that because culture can be so complex and it shouldn't be. And you bring up a good point. How do companies continue to maintain a healthy, solid culture, but also grow? Yeah. Because you mentioned there's going to be pockets or areas where the leaders there may not emulate or even believe in those same values as leadership. And so, yeah, it's really important to be on the same page and be moving forward. You know, there was someone that mentioned, bring up in a meeting any type of disagreements, anything that you might not believe in. But when we leave the room, we all row the boat in the same direction. 
And I think that's what you were referring to and why it is so important because there are employees that could have a totally different experience within that same organization. And that's why. Yeah, no, for sure. And and that's definitely something that, you know, I can say is trying to ensure that, like I said, at the individual team level in larger organizations that the culture is being, um, you know, it's trickling down. If you call it like that corporate culture, that it's actually making it to all of your teams if you're working, you know, a large organization. And then on the flip side now, you know, like fast forward and I'm at a much smaller company now um, and in a leadership role here and we're growing and we're making strategic decisions on who we're hiring, uh, what positions they're in and trying to foster a healthy culture here. Um, and, you know, something I would say that our CEO has been vocal and spoken out about and that I've seen firsthand is you have to hire culture fits. And if you think you hired the right person and you quickly identify that they don't fit the culture as sickening as it is to have to admit that that was wrong and that you put money into something that's just not going to work. You have to make that call early. Don't wait. And like, that's something that is really difficult for smaller companies to do um, for any company to do, honestly, because there's an investment of monetarily. Right. And just in time um, when you hire someone and you can't always tell if they're a culture fit because everybody puts a very good front on and best foot forward uh, when you're in an interview process. But then you have to know as the employer, what are your non-negotiable standards for culture in your workplace? And what is like, it's not going to work if we see these people, you know, having any types of behaviors that don't fit inside the culture that we've set as an organization. Um, And so it's great to say all of that, but the hard part is like the follow through and actually making sure like you make the hard decision if you have to. Absolutely. And I just saw someone blog about the fact that you shouldn't even be hiring people for the knowledge that they have or even their experience, which was quite interesting to me. And I believe in that, you know, knowledge, we could Google, you can learn, there's a learning curve, right? But ultimately being a good fit within the company from a cultural perspective, the customers feel that your partners feel that. So it is important. And like you said, I think it is important to, once you identify that this isn't a fit, just like in sales, right, Samantha? So we're making a call and I've seen this. I'm sure you've seen this, but you just really want to get that business. You want to get that partner on board, but it doesn't fit. So you have two choices. You can move on or you could just keep trying to make something that doesn't fit. Try to make it fit. Man. And you just like shared probably what was a learning curve for you at some point and was a learning curve for me. Right. If I think back to the first year of my career and I think about, um, how hard I tried to push some deals across the finish line that ultimately were never going to work. Like it was not going to work. You were trying to make something happen out of nothing. And ultimately you wasted your time and and it was even more sickening when it didn't work. And it, you know, now you look back and you're like, Oh no. And, and I think that a one sign of a mature salesperson and by mature, I don't mean like you've done it a long time because everybody has a different learning curve. It took me like a year and I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) Uh, Some people it takes 10 years, but you know, if you're able to say, "Mm, I don't think this is the right opportunity for me. Sometimes you even have like a shipper or whoever it is for you asking you to do something and being willing to, to push it through. And you're like, no, this just isn't like my ideal at, you know, at rocket, we call it our ICP. Um, our ideal customer profile. And we know what we're good at. We know where our niches are. We know how we're successful. And when we start trying to get too far outside of that and you start trying to fit your business model around somebody else, um, 
you know, there could be a little flexibility, especially when you're young and you have that kind of like startup mentality. But over overall, we, we don't do it because it's an investment of time and resources and um, manpower that is probably not something that's going to be sustainable business for you long term. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you look at it, from that perspective, you're really, you're helping other people as well too, right? So you're not just dragging them along. And when you think of, you know, whether you're remodeling a home, buying a luxury vehicle, or even just purchasing a coffee, right? At a new coffee shop, you just want the, Hey, I like this latte this way. Hey, you know, it's just, it's interesting. The transparency being yeah. really authentic and, um, you know, focusing on really what you can do too. I, there was a saying that, you know, in marketing that, not every customer that breathes is your customer. And that helped me too, to realize that, and you mentioned niche, it's important to niche down and, and add that value. And then in turn, it's not like you're going to get this buyer's remorse, any type of resentment, because I think too, when you try to force something that's not meant to be, it's not good for your operation. It's not good for the pipeline for the customer. And I could go on, but yeah, no, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So Through your life, I'm sure you've met a lot of people and uh, listened to podcasts or read. Is there anyone in particular that really motivates you or, and they could be living, dead, past, whatever, but people that kind of you admire in the industry or not in the industry, but really where you kind of get some, I guess, inspiration for um, being the leader that you are? Yeah. um, So number one, I've had some amazing people step in and, and mentor in my, in a professional you know, way in my career. Um, I think that everyone has to have those people you can trust where you can, you can go to them and you can, you know, lay it out there, um, ask for help, ask for guidance, ask for support. Um, and naturally as you work with those type of mentors, you know, I would say those are the people that you look up to, that you want to emulate, that they're your mentor for a reason, right? You admire them. Um, you admire what they do. So I definitely am very thankful that like early on in my career, I identified some um, some gentlemen that, you know, I respected. I, I looked up to, I admired the way they conducted their business. Um, they were successful because of it. You know, I, I will say like, you can like someone for, for their Qualities as a good person, and that's great. But like, if you're looking for a business mentor, you definitely want to make sure the person is proven to be successful. If you're going to try to like emulate yourself after them in the business space, so you know, find those people that you're attracted to because of these qualities. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was blessed that they were willing to um, to work with me and, and go through a growth journey with me. You know, some of those people have been in my life since I was an account manager, and then through the, a director role and a VP role. Um, and some of them more recent, but I appreciate you know, every single one of those people that has, um, lended me advice. And I think career changes are always scary. Um, you never feel ready. You know, there's a little bit of like, just concern, like, am I making the right call? Being able to have those people who know you well, uh, who know your skill set, and who can just, um, give good advice. Like that was huge for me getting through two job transitions, you know, one a promotion and then another, uh, a company change. Um, and being able to have those people that you can go to and talk through that with, um, made it possible for me to have the confidence to make those changes. So definitely the sooner, the better you can find those mentors. Um, you know, that's, that's something I would recommend to anybody. 
I agree. I was actually told to read this book called The First 90 Days, and that's basically addresses any transition within a company or if you're actually going to a new organization. It was really helpful for me. I'm like, geez, I wish I would have read that a long time ago. Yeah. And I, so, mean, I, I would say the, the other thing I would add to that is um, we, I'm familiar with you through LinkedIn. You're familiar with me through LinkedIn. So like the power of networking, it, and these don't have to be people that become your closest friends and mentors, but I learned that if you just, if there's someone you admire in a social space who brings like valuable content out there, um, what I started doing a couple of years ago, and this is kind of how I got involved in the LinkedIn space. If I saw something I did not understand, I messaged that person. And I said, I saw this. I don't understand where you like, meaning like, you know, more than me clearly, like teach me this. Um, and that's how I started growing a lot of connections. You know, some of them have turned into people that we have business partnerships with now um, at my current company and who are able to really you would have never thought that that would come from me asking you a question about a LinkedIn post. Um, but there's a lot of knowledge out there. A lot, like there are people who know more than you know about a variety of topics. Seek them out. Good people like like to talk about it. You know, like these, they were more than willing to teach me that because I think naturally we all appreciate people who are genuinely curious and have like a desire to learn. And everybody has that desire to teach other people. Um, if it's something that they're passionate about. So I would say like being willing to step out there and say, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't understand that. Can you tell me more about it? Um, that did a lot for my career and it grew a cool network. Like I have some pretty cool people who a lot of them appear now on my own podcast. And that started with me going, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> like, can you explain that? So that's my other, you know, little tidbit there is, um, they don't have to be your best friend. They don't have to be your mentor, but they can still be someone that you learn from um, through a, a social connection. I like that because it's important to engage. And I tell people often, they say, Margo, I can't get LinkedIn to work for me. Yeah. I The first thing I, I mentioned, are, are you engaging? Do you like other people's comments? Are you really there to kind of learn and collaborate? Because people feel it. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a couple of fun questions. What is the spiciest opinion you have that isn't popular? Oh man. Um, <laughs> hmm. Dang, I wish I would have had time to think of that because I'm sure I'd have like a really snarky answer ready. Um because I have a I lot of that. opinions. Um okay. <laughs> I I have one. I think I'm not sure how popular or unpopular it is, but I've definitely like, you know, I think that in a broader audience there would be some pushback. We kind of ironically touched on it, but um, I would say that a young professional who has dedicated themselves to understanding current markets and, and learning and taking advantage of what's available to them for the last two years, um, I would put that professional up against someone with 25 years industry experience who doesn't take that same commitment to continued education all day, every day, and say that if I was a shipper, I want that person with two years of experience instead of that person with 25. Um, I think there's a time and a place for tenured um, experience, like I give the example of our, our VP of network design. Um, I can't do what he does. I wouldn't even be able to attempt it. He uses 17 years of partnerships and understanding conceptually like how operations work in fleets. I, I just can't, right? I could, I could learn a lot and I learn a lot by listening to him. So one day I'll be able to talk about it, but the depth of my relationships spread across hundreds and thousands of different 
providers isn't there like his. So that's a little different situation. But for the most part, when we're talking to like a sales and marketing audience, that's where I see endless opportunity for young professionals, especially in our industry. Um, and so my unpopular opinion is that I will take someone all day, every day with a work ethic and an outgoing personality with one year of experience over someone with 10. So I love it. I love it because we were just like you said, talking about earlier that you can't, you just shouldn't be buying knowledge or even experience, right? Because, and that's the thing. So I've sold for some major brands and they're all different. Yeah. You know, you cannot guarantee you're buying this book of business, right? Yeah. So I could say, yeah, you can buy this portion of this book of business, but it's really what your fit is. And so being able to navigate that really helps you to be successful. I think there are several key qualities in our industry that make people the rock stars that they are across a variety of roles. Number one is always going to be work ethic. Like, are you willing to work harder than other people? Um, You know, that's, I contribute a lot of my success to that because, you know, do over say, like, however you want to put it, like, that is at the end of the day, I'm outworking my competition. I want it more than my competition. Um, and that will help me grow faster and at a pace that's more valuable to the people that I interact with. Um, number two, so work ethic number one, number two would be emotional intelligence. Super underrated <sighs> soft skill. Super underrated soft yes. skill. Um, like there should literally be a like people should put it on their resume. High emotional intelligence. Like if you can understand how the person you're having a conversation with is feeling about what you're saying, if they're into it, if they're not, when's the right time to back off to let someone else take control? When do you step up and take control? Like that goes so far in leadership, in working with team dynamics, but also in relationships with your clients. Um, and I'm astonished more and more in my career um, how many people don't have it. Because like when it's fairly natural and you you would consider yourself to have high emotional intelligence, it's like it's not something you necessarily had to learn. So I think that's another thing is sometimes there's like learned behaviors and sometimes there's just like more natural to your personality. Um, and so you assume everybody else has it, but they don't. And you'll figure that out when you start getting really uncomfortable in certain situations because you're like, no, stop talking. No, stop talking. <laughs> well, I think that goes back to your sales, not only just abilities, but experience, right? So you learn, I'm going to have to get my message across to get my message across to a bunch of different people. They're going to, I'm going to have to appeal to those people. Otherwise they're not going to listen to me. And so you're constantly picking up on cues. So when I say this, I see this person's reaction is that, what I want? Is it not what I want? And then therefore I adjust, uh, tone, inflection, yeah, body language, and all I those things. Somewhere that this goes for probably any company, but somewhere that this gets lost is in training departments in, in organizations mm. where you teach a process. It's a by the book process. This is how we do it. They talk about things like know, here's how to ask questions to pull and like to strategically get the the other person involved in the sale. But like, depending on the personality type you're dealing with, that person might just want to sit and listen, absorb, and then go think on it and send back their questions later. Like you, and then it becomes really uncomfortable if you're, you know, a fly on the wall and you hear someone just trying to pester you with questions and pull information and they think they're trying to find the problem that they're going to go solve. And it's just like, it's a personality type thing. Um, we just recently, you know, we have some new people on our team in our company and we 
it was just funny how someone was like, well, I feel like so-and-so thinks this. And then, you know, that person said to someone else, I think so-and-so thinks this about me. And it was all good stuff, but it's just like, clearly lines were just, you know, everybody was on the same page. So we went back and we're like, Hey, we haven't done, you know, the disc assessment for our newer people. Let's do that. We did it myself included. And, um, I looked at that and I was like, Oh my gosh, it all makes sense. And like you read it and you're the, exactly the way that they prefer to interact. We had a couple people who were like polar opposites from the other people on the team. And so it's not that anybody was like, you know, hurting feelings or anything like that, but just the way that people like to process information and communicate with their teammates. Um, you kind of have to understand that so that you can have that emotional intelligence built into your interactions to get the most out of it. It's the same way in business and sales. Like those are your star performers. Um, one of my mentors, like I told you about, that's when I was like, I want to be that, that guy. I want to be him. And it was because I got on calls with him and I heard him interact with people. And I mean, he was a different person on every call because he was so in tune with how to, you know, I talk really fast. If, if the person on the call spoke slower, he spoke slower. And if they were kind of reserved, he dialed it back a little bit and became a little bit more reserved. And so that was such an eye-opening experience for me to be like, he's so much more effective. I could meet with the same person. And then this man, I can introduce him and he gets five times as much information because they're comfortable with him. They're laid back and they're just, it's another day for them, you know, talking to someone that they can relate with. Um, and that's when I was like, all right, you have some work to do, but you're going to get better and like talk to that person. He knows what he's doing. Um, so yeah, emotional intelligence high up there. Heck yeah, totally agree. So what would be, if you could pick any animal, what would be your spirit animal? <laughs> um, well, I would just say horses because I've, I'm like you know, seven years old. I became the, the horse girl, but I never grew out of it. Like every girl's like, it has that pony phase where you want a pony for your birthday. Um, but I, I kept it and I had a couple horses over my lifetime. Um, if I was specifically going to be one, the last one that I had when I was in high school, his name was Geronimo. He was this giant, um, redheaded. <laughs> he was had red hair. Um, he was a big boy and, uh, he had a lot of attitude. Um, and he just had this like blazing red, orange hair. So I think that he was, he was super spunky. He was super free spirited. He was also getting old, but he like refused to admit it. And so lots of fun energy. And I just think that like, Horses are, are very cool. They're very intelligent, very talented, um, and they have such strong spirits, and, and I love that about them. I'm obsessed. So I'm into writing, and I have three girls, and the two oldest ones have been writing since they were six. So yes, yep. totally feel started. that. Oh, oh, such a dream. See, I have yet to own one, so I'm going to just keep dreaming. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, very lucky that I lived in a neighborhood, but my grandma was a horse lady as well. So she let uh, me you know, have horses because she had the land to do it. So I will say that they are probably one of the most expensive pets you can have um, because <laughs> they like eat more than you, you do on a daily basis. Um, so it's, it's not a cheap hobby by, by far, but um, they're pretty amazing. So rewarding. Yeah. Okay. So last question. If you could sit down and have coffee or tea with anybody alive or that has passed, who would it be and why? Hmm. Man, these are good ones. Um, 
Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I guess this is, this is so hard. Um, I would say, you know, I'm sure there's some people who are, are alive today that I would love to meet and, and I could have a good conversation with. Um, I think that I, I regret that I was like just old enough to start to really understand, you know, how amazing my great grandparents were when they passed. Mm. Um, like phenomenal people. And you, you see it as you age, you can look back and understand it more than you did at the time. So I think that there's so much that I could have learned, um, from my great grandparents, both of them, honestly, but my great grandma outlived my great grandpa by quite a few years. So, you know, I did know her. I just wish that, um, you know, there would have been more that you could have learned and talk to them more from like that adult perspective, like after doing life and realizing all the life they went through and like how much different it was like being able to go back and, and ask them for their advice and their opinions would be amazing. Um, as even just going through like your 20 somethings, you know, not a lot, not a lot of us get to have our great grandparents at all in our teen twenties, um, or later. Uh, I was blessed to have them as long as I did. I had all four of my great grandparents until I was like 13 to 16 years old. So, um, very that is cool. so special. Uh, yeah, that's really special. I love that answer. Oh, so thank you so much for coming on, Samantha. I really appreciate it. Uh, could you tell our audience where can they find you? What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Um, not very good at any other social media at the time, but um, I am on LinkedIn as Samantha Jones. Um, please send me a connection request um, and reach out there. Um, meet me for coffee is kind of my thing, kind of my tagline. I do have a podcast that I do, but also um, I've probably met like over a hundred people in the last year, just like to chat. Like I said, so reach out if there's something that you'd like to talk more about um, and just network and, and um, learn more about each other. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for tuning in. I'm super excited that you guys were here. Let me know where you're tuning in from. Drop a comment. And if you want to see what's going on next week, check out my profile. Thanks guys.